Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. It is a not-so-serious Sunday. It's not serious at all. No. We're going to have very light-hearted conversation yeah. about something under the topic umbrella of art <laughs> and creative process and integrity and industry and all of those wonderful things. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Halloween is approaching, so... Oh, we, I guess we, so. We kind of did a little low, yeah, low voice, very serious. Yeah. Although you know what's funny about not so serious Sundays is we sometimes get really serious. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it feels like we always kind of get into something really, really big mm-hmm. and deep. That doesn't necessarily mean it's serious. I don't even necessarily know what that means anymore. What is serious? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like because I don't feel like our topics are downers. No. At all. I know. I think ultimately yeah. that's what we're trying to do is trying to do the up, the up thing, you know, motivate you, push you, drive you. Yeah. But we got to go to some depth because I mean, you don't want to just have a bunch of surface crap either. Yeah. Cause that's boring. No. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done and I would recommend this to our guests is the one on depression. That mm. was a real big shift for me because, um, you know, uh, I think that one of the things that I got from that one was we went into some really dark places, shared some personal stuff about our experiences with that. And, um, you know, ultimately kind of came and found this light out of it. Right. Yeah. And I think artists, you know, I, I, I don't know if I know any artists who haven't experienced some form of depression in some way, because I think we all question ourselves at some point and we all feel like maybe it'll never happen or we, we had our big break and we lost it or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I think there is a, a, an emotional depth that we all get to at some point in our career. And so that was an important one, I think. Yeah. You know? Was that, cause I know we'd done one that was like, what to do when you don't feel like doing anything. That was way earlier. Or that was yeah. way earlier. The other one was, I'm just trying to remember the name of it. Cause that was a kind of a, a some semi recent. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the title of it, but it's not coming to me right now. Well, but, I, um, I could look it up. It was like when you're talking. feeling like a phony or something like that. We were getting into that one or I think it was it something. Was... Yeah. When you feel like a phony, I think depression is in the title. Is though. it? Okay. Yeah. So right. um, anyway, just look to the podcast titles and you'll find it. It's probably about 10 or 15 back from this one. And this one's the 73rd yeah. podcast, which wow. exciting news, by the way, one <laughs> week from today, we're actually launching the podcast. Yes. So when the podcast is launched, we will have actually had 75 theoretically podcasts done because we've got yeah. two more to do within the week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anybody who's starting a podcast, here's a little word of advice. Um, when you release a podcast, the goal is to release, you know, anywhere from seven to 15 right off the bat. So you show that you have a body of work. And then from there, the next eight weeks of the podcast are, that's the really the most important part about sharing it and pushing it and getting people behind it. And, uh, you know, based on all our research and everything, you know, those, that first launch week and then the several weeks after that are really important. So, yeah. As far as logistical types of things, content is still king though. Content's king. You still need to love the content that you're creating because otherwise you won't make it to 70 
three episodes if you don't give a shit about what you're what you're talking about. No. It's funny because I mean, when, I mean, we shared a little bit about how we started, but I remember thinking early on, I'm like, well, what if we kind of cover everything and we ran out of things to say? And I think what ended up happening was we kind of covered a lot of our surface issues in the beginning, you yeah. know, and then we started to get into deeper things and they opened up all new bag of, you know, yeah, something, you know, it feels <laughs> like there's been all of these, uh, these ebbs and flows of, of how everything, yeah, because at the beginning it was like, okay, like we have this idea and here we, here we go. And, you know, I think those podcasts, we've gone back and listened to them and, and they're, they're, I think they're still good podcasts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they definitely have a different sort of a feel to them than where we've ended up going. Right. Yeah. Like you just, I, and I think it's, it was almost like you're being forced to just kind of go a little deeper go a little further, you know, like once you've exhausted this sort of stuff that is, yeah, on the surface and then you go deeper and you realize that there's just so much more that's like underneath all of it. And it's just been an, an infinite amount of material, it seems totally. for us to go through. And I guess that is kind of the nature of art. It's not, there isn't, it isn't a bottomless pit. There's like, I mean, it's a bottomless pit. Yeah. It, it, there is no bottom. <laughs> like, that's right? what yeah. I'm trying yeah. to say. Um, and I think that's interesting because when, when we started this podcast, you know, I kind of, I mean, humbly, uh, I, I admit that I only had experienced my art maybe to a certain depth. And then after the amazing guests we've had on and the, and just the conversations that the podcast has opened up for me with people who haven't even ever been recorded. Um, I, just discovered things that I just didn't even know were things to look at. And, um, you know, and I think, um, what's interesting is because so much of this podcast for us is a discovery. It's not like we're not like know-it-alls and we're teaching. We're like kind of going, let's have a conversation. This is kind of what we think we know. And then it ends up being so much more usually, at least I experience it that way. And then what's interesting is, um, you know, our guests have brought on some really interesting things too, because, everybody, every artist kind of, we, we explore different territories, right? And we all kind of, well, I shouldn't say for everybody, but I think I kind of assumed that I had explored similar territories to other people. And what I found is that some people have never explored the territory I've explored and I've never explored the territory they have. And then all of a sudden we have a conversation and then it opens up that door. And I think it's kind of like you and I, right? Like you've had your artistic career and I've had mine and I've maybe gone more down the film and re- screenwriting road. Well, you've gone down screenwriting, but you got, went down more the acting and music. And so there's a whole territory that like we, we experienced our art in different ways. And so we come together and I think that's why the conversation unfolds into something a little more. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you need to have all kinds of different voices. Like again, um, you know, one of my, one of you learn things from very unlikely places, you know, like, um, learning from someone who wasn't necessarily an, an artist, um, you know, like, uh, from, from our landscape architect who we had on the show. Um, he was, he was fantastic. Like he shared, like, I still think about that and I still share that with people today when I'm having conversations with people other than you, Brandon, which does happen. You talk to other people? Yeah. You're talking to other people? <laughs> <laughs> about art too, I know. You're cheating on Scandalous. me? Scandalous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we were having this conversation, and I, and I bring that up, you know, when he had made that point about how he looks at the space and tries to see 
what the space kind of wants to do, what's already there, what's naturally there. Yeah. And then works with that as opposed to just trying to lump his idea onto it. Right. Right. I thought like that was just, I thought it was just brilliant. Like, and, and it was so unlikely. Like I just, I did not know what was going to come of that conversation. You know, every now and then you have some, you know, somebody will, will maybe come on or we'll get into something. I'm like, Oh, maybe this is going to be the one where it's just like, eh, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> but that was not one of them. No. And I, that was uh, Matt Gibbs and, Matt the, Gibbs, and yeah. the podcast was called the architecture of art. Yes. I remember that one very well. And yeah, I think that his, his advice as an architect was, um, so like there was so much to that in every art, like, you know, work with, the environment work with what you have in a certain way and don't force your art to be something like if it doesn't fit that space, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really like that bit of advice too. Yeah. He, he, you know, and it's just a perspective, right? What's really neat. Um, you know, that everybody has a certain perspective to bring to the table. And I think, you know, as uh, we've kind of gone on this journey, I've been noticing, um, as I've kind of had the luxury more and more to talk to like people who are commercially successful as artists. And I'm just saying like, I'm not saying other artists aren't successful, but commercially successful, meaning that they've acquired some fame or some fortune through the process of their art. Um, but what I've started to find is that people become, um, they, they become very authentic to their perception. You know, they have a, they have a way in which um, is very true for them about how they go about their art. And I think that is, you know, if I could give anybody some advice from what I've kind of collected is the more true you are to you, the, and not just you and who you are, but the way you go about doing something, the more likelihood there will be a success. Cause authenticity, I think is ultimately the most attractive thing of all. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that also like what goes in hands with that is there's a, there's a willingness to share. I find with a lot of people who are in that sort of position, Yeah. you know, um, nobody's really too like afraid to talk about what they're doing or what their ideas are, which I think is like a, a thing where that artists fall into a trap of doing a lot. It's just like, Oh, I've got to keep this idea to myself or I can't share it or it's like, I'm going to lose it. And it's kind of this, this whole lack attitude, this, uh, this thing that like someone's going to steal it. Someone's going to take this or it's not ready. It's not developed enough yet. It's like, you know, it's sharing, sharing your, your ideas is, is huge. Yeah. I think it's key. It's just like trying to, but we often think we have to protect all of these things. Well, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, coaching someone, uh, you know, I, I, we're transitioning the business, right? So I'm, I'm doing a lot of like private coaching, which I haven't done in about, you know, well, I've, I've kind of been doing, I've been helping people mostly with through a course model, the yeah. model is already set up and then I've coached them through that, but I've been doing some personal coaching, meaning that they're like a dynamic project, um, that isn't necessarily like there's no course built for it. And it's been an interesting process to go through because, um, you know, everybody has a a different kind of struggle in, in, in this thing they want to do. One person I'm working with in particular is a filmmaker and, um, they're, 
struggle currently, uh, and, and they've been working through it, is basically, it's not really a struggle, it's just their, their next thing, which is to build a team. And because they're not from um, Vancouver, they don't really know anybody. And so they're like, well, who do I contact? And I was like, well, you know, and we were talking about it today, we, we had our meeting and I was like, okay, well, you know, look at it like a date, right? Are you going to hire a DOP that you've never seen their reel for? That would be like going on a date without ever seeing a picture. But it's not just a date. It would be like yeah. going on a trip to, say, Mexico for a week with yeah. a stranger that you never met. Yeah, You know, totally. are you going to do that, right? So I was giving them some advice. I was saying, well, you know, make sure you see the reel. Or um, a really trusted friend, at least, can refer them to you. Mm-hmm. And don't go blind into it. Go and look for referrals. And... Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, I shared a few of my contacts with them. I, you know, I, I, I try to be, um, very respectful of my contacts because I don't want to send like a hundred people to them, yeah. and, you know, and have them be like, Hey, come on. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, people kind of, usually the people that I'm working with at this point are kind of a, like at a certain experience level where they, the, either the project's going to have to really call to them or they're going to want to work with people that kind of have made a few films. Right. Yeah. But anyway, um, so we were bouncing through this whole thing and he was like, Oh, well, you know, actually I do know this person and then they can refer. And it was really neat to just watch them kind of go through it. The point was, and I was making this to him, as I said, you know, you don't want people to show up to your film who just want to get paid for the day. You want people to show up who really believe in your project and they believe in you and your vision because they're going to be your best workers. And, um, I was just pointing out to him that you're going to need to learn how to communicate your idea. And that's, that's the biggest thing. Like this logistic stuff you're talking about. Now that you've got that figured out, the the only thing stopping you from everything you want is being able to communicate your idea where people will get excited about it and want to be involved. And that's, you know, and it's interesting, right? So, so my point was just to be back on you is that as artists, we have to share we have to communicate. If you're too restrictive about your idea, the best you can ever hope for is people who want to get paid for the day. And then they're going to be like, okay, well, I'm getting paid because they weren't enrolled and story enrolls. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And then I think on to the, then the other thing that I, I feel is attached to that is that then you have to be willing to let, to let these people do their work. You have to be open to letting people, especially in film, like if we're talking about that medium, like it's, yeah. it's like now it's like, okay, so if you've got people enrolled in it, but now you've got to let people do their job, Yes, you know, because then the other temptation is now you're going to hold on too tight to other things, right? You're going right. to become too protective of how you necessarily imagined it, you know? And it's like, it's always a conversation to me. That's what I feel like when, when you're in something in a creative collaboration like that, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's, everything is a conversation, you know? And if you have a reason, I mean, you and I have, have gone through this in terms of like writing projects together. And I've, I've seen other people go through, you know, writing screenplays together and it's just like, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Right. And, and it's because it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it's can be hard enough sometimes to just like get past your own shit, right. To put, put a project together. Right. Um, but when you have a couple of voices, a couple of minds onto something, you know, even if you're on, you know, even if you're on the same page, you know, you have a different idea of like (laughs) what might be going on to that page, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or where everything is going. And I think the, 
the important thing is, is always to keep a sense of, okay, well, like this is, this is an idea that I have, but like not being, I remember what someone was saying as an actor, they said, date your choices, don't marry them. Hmm. Um, and I think that that's like, especially when you're in a partnership where you, you know, somebody's going to have an opinion <laughs> on what it is you put that they might really love it, but they might have something else entirely in mind, you know, like you had, so for instance, like as a filmmaker, you're a director, you know, writer, director or something, and you're on this project and you've hired the team, like everybody's on board. Um, but now you've gotten so like stringent on, like you had this idea for this shot and your DOP is telling you, you know, that it won't work or right. they've got this idea for this or other your shot. Or telling you're running out of time and we don't have time <laughs> to set that up, which yeah. happens too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's so many different things that can, that can play into it. Yeah. And it's like, and you've got to be like, okay, like you've got to put your, you got to now have trust in those people to, to deliver because I mean, and I've also been on, on sets where, you know, the, the director is kind of a running a tyrannical, yeah. Operation and everybody just sort of shuts down like, and they only do just enough. Yeah. Right. That's like, they, they won't put in the extra thing. And also it's kind of, it's just a shitty thing to do. Anyhow, these are talented people who, you know, like can really help take you to the next level. They can really do some amazing things. And now it's like, they're just completely been, you've just chopped them off at the head. Right and you're trying to be the head on all these different bodies now. And it's just, it's, it's a ridiculous task. Well, there's so many things that you brought up. So I'm just going to list off what I want to talk about. (laughs) One was you said, uh, date your choices, don't marry them. And I think when you're in a partnership, uh, of any creative endeavor, that's the model date your choices, don't marry them because you and your partner need to marry them together. And, uh, yeah. I think that's one thing that, you know, cause I've had, and this is another thing I want to talk about. I've had many people ask me, you know, how, like, cause we've written a lot of scripts together. We've written a lot together, you know, over like a decade basically. Yeah. And, um, people have asked me like, how do you guys work so well? And, and I, and, and I've told them advice. So I think you and I could talk about that. Um, cause we basically, at the end of the day, I think we are both very respectful of each other's ideas and we have enough humility to be like, yeah, okay. My idea wasn't the best. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, there's no, there, there's no ego about it. Yeah. Although sometimes it's hard. You're like, oh man, like I'm not coming up with any good ideas today, but you kind of just, you know, you have your off days and then you have your on days and whatever, but you have that kind of, um, you figure it out, you work together. Um, the other thing I was going to say was partnership, you know, um, one of the first courses that I ever did with, uh, the movie maker school, which is now, uh, BC, uh, BC film Academy. Um, one of the first courses I ever did was basically the course was creation to completion. So you create the idea, um, you write the script, you know, you learn how to pitch it. You, you actually put the, the professional team together, you make the movie, you get it edited, and then you submit to festivals and stuff like that. And it was super successful. Of course, we actually Mm -hmm. had someone win like over 40 awards for their film, right? So it was super successful. It worked really well. It was a great little film too. I remember I saw that one through the pain. Yeah. Pauline Egan. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, anyway, so, uh, um, I always told people, listen, you, you, you know, people would ask me, can I partner up? Can we do this? And I'm like, no partners. And here's why 
You need to go through the experience on your own first and experience what it is to spend your own money and put your own name on the line before you start piggybacking on everyone else. Then once you have all gone through this process, feel free to partner up however you like, but you'll all partner up with people who have already made it because they'll both, you'll both know what it's like to put your, your name and your money on the line. Yeah. I think partnerships, part of the reason why our partnership worked, which is a good segue into our screenwriting endeavors is that we both wrote, we both did things on our own first. Mm -hmm. So when we finally came together, it was like, okay, well, we're both bringing something to the table. We both have a little bit of experience. We weren't like, let's use each other as a crutch. At least I didn't experience it that way. I felt like, you know, and we just enhanced each other's process. Yeah. I felt like, and, and I think that that's a big thing in a partnership is that you always, you, you never lose sight of each other's value. Right. And bring something, you know, it's like, I've, I've, you know, I thought that our partnership has always worked because we have a lot of very similar sensibilities when it comes to how we work and, and the types of things that we, that we like to try and achieve and do. Um, but also because, you know, I, I feel like we each bring our certain sensibilities as well, which are like, you bring stuff that that take my work into a place that I couldn't do otherwise. And I, I've always hoped that I do the same. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No, of course. I think that's the benefit of a partnership is like, and I think that's why people do want partnerships in a lot of ways, because I think, um, you know, two minds are better than one at the end of the day. it, it, It just is, but only if you work interdependently, like, and, um, you know, it's a sociology term, right? Um, is like, um, there's dependence, there's independence and interdependence. And, um, dependence is when you are dependent, like something's a crutch and you rely on it. And if you didn't have it, you would basically fall over. It wouldn't work out. Independence is I don't need anything or anyone. I can do it all on my own. Um, which, uh, I did a personal growth course and they say that actually doesn't really exist. If you think about it, we're all connected. I find that really fascinating, but ultimately the ultimate level of maturity, which they use this model from sociology is interdependence, which is that I recognize that I'm independent of you, but at the same time, I recognize that we are, what we create is greater than the sum of our parts. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think what ends up happening is, and even with this podcast is neither of us comes into this going like, I know more than him or whatever. It's not about how we look. It's just about let's you throw your best at me. I'll throw my best at you. And then let's see what comes up. And this is not much unlike our screenwriting process. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why it works. And plus we write one thing I like about our, cause I partner with other people. One thing I've really enjoyed about our partnership is we, we actually schedule a time and we sit down together and write every word together. We don't do it separately, which I think takes a certain amount of uh, dedication, a certain amount of discipline, time management, um, commitment, you know, and the thing is, is a lot, I, I would imagine that a lot of partnerships would fall apart because someone would be like, I can't today or blah, 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 or whatever. But we're always like, okay, just show up. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> that's always been like a great, and I learned that one from you actually from oh, yeah? the first, from the first project that we, that we wrote together tag. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because like, I just, told you it was like at the end of uh, an acting our acting class or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I had this idea like for this, for this script and whatever. And, and, um, you would express like, like some ideas that you had about it and, and what could be done. And I was just like, oh yeah. Like, do you want to write it? Like, 
together. And then it was like, yeah, sure. And then you were just like, it's like, all right, well, let's just like, let's just set a day, like one day a week. We'll like sit down. And that was huh. like, oh, okay. Like simple, you know, you just, right. and, but you know, it's, it's amazing how, how crazy just get people sometimes to be on board, just to commit to something like that. Yeah. Like I've, I've talked to some, I know some people who've been trying to do, 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 with a level of consistency. Right. And it's just like the day comes when they're supposed to. And she's like, Oh no, I can't, I can't do it today, Mm -hmm. you know, or something, something, whatever happened or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, we don't always necessarily like do hours on the same day, you know, like, like, but we're pretty consistent. And usually it's like, if we miss a day, it's like, okay, so it's immediately we reschedule like, the, the next day, the next day yeah. or whatever, right? On the rare occasion. That's really to... interesting that, you know, um, because I, I mean, I, I must have got that, um, skill, you know, to, to like, and I consider that a skill where it's just like pick a day and commit to that. Um, but you know, with this podcast, I mean, one of the things that has really worked about it and the reason why we've gotten to such a high number already is because we do twice a week, almost consistently every week and it's Sunday and Wednesday and it's just, it's just there. It's in the calendar. It's going to happen. There's no like, yeah. you know, um, fun fact trivia about the B and E podcast for all of you that nobody would really care about necessarily. It's like, <laughs> do you know they record on Sundays and Wednesdays? Yeah. But you know, Great. I, in a way, like, I think what's kind of neat just because we're in the, we're in the launch mode, we're about to share this with the world. And it's amazing how many people have gotten behind us already. And we haven't even shown anything or, you know, there's been nothing to really hear yet. But, um, is just, if you're going to start a podcast, just some advice, just pick a day out of the week and do it every day, no matter what. I wanted to share one thing, which was that two things, actually. One was where did I get the skill to like pick the day and, um, and what I've done with that since. So I think I got it from my, I would say I probably got it from my dad because my dad was always like rain or shine. Oh, and, and actually I had a couple great soccer coaches. Mm. Um, but rain or shine, you show up and you do the thing no matter what. And, um, you know, and I think that, uh, if you just pick a day and you commit to it, my dad's always like deadline. If you don't have a deadline, you don't have anything. So it's like you pick the deadline and, um, and, and, and he kind of like has like a penance with it. Like if, if I don't hit this deadline, I'm making a decision to do something else. And I, I, and it kind of, um, he's been, we've been working a lot on that recently, a lot more. Yeah this is just a side note, but you need to create enough pain for the alternative of not achieving your goal. So if you say, I'm going to do this thing on Wednesday and it, and for whatever reason, this thing can't be done by Wednesday or you can't do it on Wednesday, you need to, um, make a decision that's painful or, um, uh, you know, have some type of accountability to it. Cause people, he, he, he would say, don't ever move your deadline. Like, once you start moving your deadline, you become someone who doesn't keep their word with themselves. Right. Mm. And so, um, anyway, uh, I think I got that from there and I got that from like soccer coaches who, you know, if it was snowing, it didn't matter. You go to practice. You, you do. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to share one thing just to give the extent of what I mean. So when I was starting my school, um, initially it was a hit. It just, it worked out right away. I was very fortunate. I was lucky. I had, um, a lot of really good friends who helped and shared and gave me referrals and whatever. And I instantly had within, I think it was within a month. I already had like, you know, 
30 students within two, I had 70 students. So I had a lot of students, clients right away making movies, like 70 movies that were made within, you know, starting at two, you know, two months. Actually, it was more than that. It was 90 movies that were made within like, you know, a five month period. Extraordinary. Yeah. So five months, 90 movies were made. It was wild. Right. Um, anyway, uh, there was a point where I, I kind of hit a bit of a low, um, where I was, uh, someone had suggested, why don't you do, cause I would do these intros Yeah. and, uh, basically it would be about a 30 to 45 minute session. I would basically do a free class on, on teach people how to, how to put a story together. They could decide if they wanted to work with me or they could just take that and they could do it themselves. And my goal was like, the bottom line, you're going to be writing a story and making a movie. If you want to work with me, I'll help you with the little details and we'll take it further. Right. And I'll hold you accountable. So anyway, I hit this point where I was doing it every week, which actually wasn't the best choice. Um, because when it happening was people could go, Oh, well, I'll just come next week. When I did, when I would do them one off, mm. what happened was people had to come because it was, they didn't know the next time it would be available. But once I started doing it once a week, people could, they didn't have a deadline. They didn't have to commit to it. So they would just go, Oh, I got busy. Something came up. So I'll go next week. Yeah. So there was uh, a few times where I showed up to the studio, which by the way, I rented and it cost me, um, you know, it cost me money to rent this studio space to hold these intros. Yeah. Right. And it didn't matter that it costed me money when people showed up because there was always someone who would sign up. So it really didn't matter. But I went for a few sessions. No one signed up. And I remember the, the woman at the front was like, well, what do you want to do? I was, I'm doing my intro. And she's, what do you mean? I said, I got a camera. I'm going to do it as though the audience is there. I'm going to practice. And I did a full intro to a camera alone in a room. Yeah. And I did that about three or four times. And I felt the, I felt the experience of being alone in that room, but I felt good about it. I felt like, you know what? I said I would do this and I'm doing it. You know what? I'm not going to make the excuse that no one's here. And you know what? It was recorded. Um, I never, I've never used those intros. I've never done anything with them, but I have some recorded intros and you know what? I, I, I got better at my presentation skill with it. Yeah. So like I would say for someone who wanted to have a writing partner, if you guys pick a day and you say like Monday's our day from four to six and your partner doesn't show up, you sit there in the writing chair in front of that screen that's dead. And you do that during that time because you know, or you reschedule immediately because you need to know that you will, you, you know, you need to know that you will fall through. Cause I think what ends up happening is people just, we, we make all sorts of excuses about not to show up. Yeah. But, and, and you know, it, it can seem like a waste of time, but it's not because it, it builds an internal strength, I think. Yeah. Well, what else were you going to do with that time anyhow? Right sit around and watch, you know, yeah. watch Netflix. Well, and like I think that's great and all, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't think you necessarily have to have to sit there silently, but you could sit there and read a screenwriting book. You could spend that time to do something, anything that moves your thing forward. Yeah. You know, and maybe like for you and I, like if you say we schedule the time to do a podcast, I'm not going to do the podcast alone. I'm not going to write alone if we were doing a script together, but I might take that time and go, okay, well, um, I booked it off. So I'm reading a screenwriting book or I'm, I'm, I'm going to research how to better do a podcast because yeah. that's what I said I would do. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, this is reminding me somewhat of like one of our 
older podcasts about like uh, discipline and practicality. Yeah. Oh, that was when our first ten. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one actually. That was a good one. Yeah, and, like there, you know, sometimes there there is like as much as somebody's you you just like want to hate somebody who's really holding you accountable and just like holding, <laughs> yeah. you know, holding like your, your ass to the fire. <laughs> uh, like it's like, I've often <clears throat> been very grateful for people to do that for, for putting pressure on me, you know, like that's something that I myself like, like am trying to get better at doing is just like putting, like holding myself more accountable Yeah, and, and having a greater sense of discipline in what I'm doing. And, and I've built it in a lot of ways. Um, and there's ways that I'm still working on it. Like, mm. and I feel like, you know, that's probably with a lot of people, with most people, there's I certain think, things. I think that, everybody needs, like, I think everybody can benefit from a coach Yeah, to hold you accountable because, you know, we, we, and I was just actually, and I don't want to cut you off, no, no, but no. I was just listening to a CD from a uh, success magazine. They give you a CD every time. And, um, one of the, and it was just about coaches, the best coaches in the world and, and not just sport coaches, but coaches like in life coaches, health coaches, whatever. And, um, you know, Jim Ron was on the CD and he was talking and he's like super successful guys. Like, like one of the, you know, most famous, like, um, authors and whatever on business and sales and leadership and such. And he was talking about how he's like, and him and, and Hardy talk, John Hardy, Don, uh, whatever, Hardy something. Anyway, the guy who, who manages success magazine. Okay. Why am I forgetting his name? Anyway, um, they were talking about coaches and they were talking about how coaches, sometimes you need them for a season. Sometimes you need them for a certain area in your life. Sometimes you need, uh, certain coaches that are personally invested in you. Sometimes you need coaches that have no personal investment in you. And they were talking about how they have coaches and, you know, and they were pointing out that's like, I think a lot of people think that I'm going to have a coach until I figure it out and then I'm going to be better. Yeah. But actually what I've found is the best people have coaches and more coaches because they can afford more coaches. So they were talking about, I have a health coach. I have a, you know, I have a business coach. I have a, a marriage coach. You know what I mean? And they have coaches that are helping them, giving them advice, giving them good feedback so that they can better apply themselves and hold themselves accountable. Right. And so, um, you know, and, and, and the other thing is just while I'm on this topic and I, I didn't mean to steal the mic from you. <laughs> well, you did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> what a jerk. But, um, the, the people that I should get a coach for that. I should get a coach for that. Yeah. <laughs> just loves, <laughs> loves to talk that Brandon just loves to Jesus. Yeah. Where you learn to listen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a listening coach. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um so, uh, you know, so I've noticed that the people who have the most success, the most, um, you know, uh, just th- they're, they're getting the furthest ahead in whatever they're doing. They commit to growth, not goals. They commit more mm-hmm. to growth than goals. So like, um, the reason why we were talking about the discipline showing up when you're not supposed to, like when no one's there, that's growth you might not achieve your goal, which was to write the script, do the podcast, uh, enroll people into your courses, but that was the goal, but you commit to the growth. And the thing is, is here's the flip side, which is so beautiful. When you actually show up to the podcast, the screenwriting thing, the, the intro session, you, you don't care about the result because you're there to grow. And what happens, you get 
almost everybody signs up. The podcast goes great. The writing session is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, and that's, and this is like, makes me think of something that came into my awareness earlier this year of, of like goal setting. And it was like a state based goal. And that's very much like a state based type of, of goal. Right. You know, it's just like, well, I, I like, I'm in for growth. And the beauty about a goal like that is that you can always achieve it. Right. Because you know, no matter what happens, you know what the outcome is. Yes. The outcome is always going to be growth because like from the outset, no matter, because yeah, it doesn't matter what happens in between there and there, you will see it as that opportunity. Right. That's awesome. Where did you, where did you come across that? Oh, that was from a course in miracles. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It wasn't it, but I'm just applying it to it. Like it right. didn't say it specifically about growth. You know, it was yeah. saying that in terms of like, you know, like, uh, something like state of mind. Like if, if peace is your goal, right. Right. That's an achievable goal because you, you can, you, you know what the, how there it's an actual actable thing. You know, you have actual control over, over that you know, <laughs> you know, I, I really love that you shared that because, um, one of the things that I've been really working on in my life right now is letting go of control as much as possible, not needing it, um, to be okay and not needing results to be okay. And, um, and kind of, uh, learning to accept things as they actually are and also accept myself where I'm actually at. Um, with everything, all the beauty and all the flaws, everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from there I can act from a more reality based place, a more holistic, truthful, honest, authentic place. Um, and what you said, it really, um, it really hit with me because what I have found as I've gone through this process is the only thing you control is what's inside of you. Um, really you have a limited amount of control about the external world. And if you have a goal, like say, I want to make $10,000 by the end of today or the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever, um, you don't actually control that. You can do everything right and it still might not work out. So when you set, say a goal to say, I want to make $10,000 by X date, you don't make the goal necessarily the $10,000, although that needs to be there and there needs to be an accountability measure to it, but you make it, I want to become the kind of person that can make $10,000 by this point. Yeah. And, um, then once you achieve that goal, you go, this is what it took. Can I replicate it? And then you, and then I've heard that you need to replicate external goals multiple times before you can learn a certain amount of confidence and consistency to do it. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done it two, three, four, five times, seven times, maybe, then you raise the goal. You might double it or triple it. And you say, well, I could, I did. And you look at where you didn't push yourself. Right. And so then you go, okay, I'll push myself in those areas and let's see what happens. And then if it doesn't work out, you don't reach your external materialistic goal. You look at your failure and you go, okay, well, what was it? Like, what would it have taken that I didn't do that would have maybe allowed me or given me the opportunity to do this? And then there's goals that are obviously like not realistic, but if you keep looking back at the data of how you behaved, you might go, well, a hundred thousand dollars in a day was maybe not possible considering that I work at Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, but if you say work at a company where, you know, you make $10,000 commissions per client that signs up, you might say, well, 10 clients sign up, we can do it. 
but I got to get all 10 clients that I'm talking to today to sign up. That's a hundred percent success rate. That can also be a little bit unrealistic, but in a week, you know, I might have say uh, 50 clients to talk to. So that means like, okay, you know, so one in five sign up, I'm good. Right. Yeah. Is that one in five, two in five? I don't know. What are the odds? I'm oh, to get to get to where hundred thousand, ten thousand dollars. You client. need. Yeah, someone's, I mean, you someone's would, there on the other end going. It's like what I'm is going a, on? I'm having a math. Yeah, they're like artists. Yeah, no, I mean so that would yeah, be weird would be if two there was. <laughs> You'd have to close two clients a day. Yeah, out of ten a day, right? And then you you know, and then out of five days, yeah, yeah. Right. two clients a day. So basically, um, you know that's an actual math equation in which you could make that money. But a lot of people will say like, well, I'd like to make $10,000, but it's like, but you need to figure out the math. How would that actually work? Like if, for example, you could do the math on anything. You could actually go, okay, well I make $10 an hour working at Starbucks. I'd have to work how many hours, right? Yeah. Well, you have to immediately work $10, 10 hours to make a hundred, right? So then you'd have to work a hundred hours to make a thousand you'd have to, you'd have to work, um, a thousand hours. There's not a yeah. thousand hours in a week, so it's not possible. And so that's once, before tax. I mean, and before <laughs> sleep. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, there, you're probably gonna be fired by the end of it. So you have to look at the equation when you, when you measure out a goal, right? Yeah. But the, the point that I'm trying to make, and, and that was just a good little goal lesson, but the point I'm trying to make is that if you focus on your own internal experience of it and your growth, you can control that and your goals don't become like depressing. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you're going to have a, to- the equation works, but you don't, even though the equation works, you're not able to achieve the, the points that make it. Yeah. And the thing is too, is that usually it's like the people who, who seem to like, we, you know, they're these figures and they seem to be embodiments of, of success and, and they have all these principles. I mean, they, when you look into it, they have, extraordinary stories of failure. Yes. And, and ongoing, you know, it continues. I mean, you set, you know, they set the goals, but there's, there's a sort of a mindset that comes along with it. It's not necessarily like a, like a rigid, like, like, Oh, like there, I mean, there are people who like that, who, who do function sort of quite well in that way. And they kind of thrive in that sort like of beating mentality. themselves up. Yeah. 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 And they're, and they're just like super hard and like, they just push and push and push and they, and they kind of thrive in that environment. I don't think that's most people. Um, but I mean the, the most sort of charismatic and philanthropic sort of like success stories that I've ever come across people who would, I, I would like to be more as, I mean, they, they have so many failures in their stories. Um, and they leave room, you know, they leave, it seems like they leave room for themselves, but they're always, they have such a mentality of, of that growth of like, well, I learned something from this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to quite to this, but I, I got this far with it. And, and, and there was always growth. There's always growth. And when you have that mindset as well, it makes the failures sting a little bit less as well. Well, you know, that's the other thing too. You know, you raise a really good point. Failure is not personal. And when you take it personal, it's what sabotages success. Yeah. It's one of those things like we, you know, our perceptions and our, and our meanings that we create, which are all, you know, we, we can go down that rabbit hole of, <laughs> of, well, nothing you really think about anything really actually means anything. That's just what you've made it 
mean. Uh, we could go down that whole thing, right? That was, like, probably the deepest thing you've ever said, yet, like... <laughs> I just rambled through it. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> like, listen, this is, let, let's, let's, this is the truth of it, people. Like, this is, this is actually true. Yeah, um, every meaning is just kind of, every we make it up. Is, yeah. is just made up. Yeah. Like, we've just made up all of what everything means to us. Yeah. Like, literally everything that we encounter and interact with, we've given it all the meaning that it has to us. Yeah. Um... Which, by the way, sub, sub note before you go on, we have to make meaning out of stuff so that we can understand and interact with it and, and kind of have a more fulfilling life. But the problem is, is when we're caught in a meaning that we don't actually, doesn't help us and we don't like, it actually yeah. limits us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and there's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's things of, and it's where we're placing these meanings or, or the things that we're putting the focus on, right. you know, like there's nothing that inherently right or wrong. It's another one of those things about meaning. Well, I have an example, like based on what we're talking about, which is that if I fail and I make that mean I'm a failure, yes, that's taking it personally, but I could just be a guy who failed at something once or twice or a hundred times, but it doesn't make me a failure because why doesn't the one success make me a success? Right. So we, we, and we have these skewed meanings, like like we'll succeed at something like we'll succeed at like walking every single day. And then one day we'll stub our toe or we trip and we'll be like, Oh my God, I, I did this thing. And it's like, yeah, we get all embarrassed. Like, how so many times did you successfully do this thing? Yeah. And then there's one time you were tired and whatever and whatever it didn't work out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah, no, completely. It's, yeah. and, but that's one of those things that like we create these meanings out of like all like this failure, even if it wasn't even a complete failure, it's, you know, there was that thing that circulated recently online about the math teacher who got the one incorrect equation out of like 10. There was only one wrong thing. And the kids were all quick to point out the one that, that he got wrong. And, but then he was quick to point out, it's like, well, but there were nine that were correct. Look how quick you are to jump on the one thing. And that's kind of how the world is. And that's how we are to ourselves. Yeah. I think more than anybody, like we're just, we're, we're our own worst critic as they say. And we, we take these things as failures and yeah, we make it mean and it, it just spirals. Like you just watch like next time you're beating yourself over like something that you feel you fucked up on. Like look at it with a sense of curiosity and growth. Yeah. As, yeah, <laughs> as no, seems you, to be some right. of the theme here yeah. and just go like, and just kind of take an interest in, in how, where your, where your thoughts, where your ego will take you with that one. Because it's just like, Oh man, I screwed this up. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Why did I even try? I'm failing. Like next thing you know, it's like, you've made this one thing mean all of this stuff. And it's like, well, it doesn't actually necessarily mean any of that. No. Like it, it really does not. And I think that's where it becomes important to where you say it's like, well, this is not necessarily a good meaning that you've created in your life. Like, because it, it serves no purpose whatsoever, whatsoever, other than to limit you, to hold you back, to just sort of live a comfortable existence, right? Like it's, it's, it's a really, when you are able to objectively look at how your mind works that way with certain things, you begin to see how kind of crazy the whole thing is and you, and you can more easily not listen to it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, um, so there, I was actually having a discussion with someone, uh, yesterday about how 
like we were talking about social psychology and although you probably won't find this in any any books maybe you will I don't know but um, there's programming that basically has been downloaded into our minds since we were children and some of it's faulty programming um, I don't think this is an entirely new concept to our generation but it's basically a faulty programming that's been downloaded so like for example where this might have occurred um, is maybe the school system where the school system gave you a rating a percentage and basically said you're this good of a student if you get a hundred percent and if you get sixty percent you're this you're like average or you're lower than average and if you fail you're just a failure and 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 so what ended up happening was you got all these grades and you start to learn to program you learn to, to look at the system of the world through a, through a series of grades so what happens is when you make a failure in life you go back to the default programming which is the grade system and the grade system is if you get enough F's you fail and you have to you know whatever and that's bad and that's embarrassing yeah and it there's all these things that come with it's not just that you fail like it's if you look at the school system it's not like it's okay if a kid fails like it's like you shouldn't fail you should be better than that and you're too old to be in this education that's lower and you know, and whatever. And you're better if you're younger and you're in a higher right. education. So basically you got to understand we, we have that like a computer system. We have software that's been programmed into our brain. And what we have to do in a way is we have to identify that programming, extract it, basically deinstall it and reinstall programming that actually is more, um, just more systematically better for us as human beings. Yeah. And so like, um, what happens is we are systematically programmed, at least in the first world culture in North America to, uh, believe we're not good enough. We're, it's actually a software that's been downloaded into us. And you know, what's funny is it's not just in the school system. It's in commercialism too, because they want you to be depressed. So you buy more shit. Oh yeah. yeah. And, 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 um, there's a whole thing on social psychology about how, people, you want them to feel like they're lacking. So they need to buy materials, right? That's software that's programmed in your head. And so once you start, like when someone says, I feel complete as I am, what they've done is they've actually reinstalled better software into their mind where they don't, they don't feel the lacking. The software is not like the, the programming yeah. is not telling them that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Like what you're pointing out about the math teacher and like the, the one wrong yeah. and nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to touch on what you were saying, it's like, yeah, like a great example of sort of that programming and that sort of training that that's going on subconsciously that we're not necessarily always aware of. Um, you know, you think of like an infomercial ad, you know, which are just the most absurd advertisements (laughs) that like that, that you will ever witness. And it's like tired of like, you know, can't like, of like having, having to like chop onions or whatever. And like, it's just like this black and white shot of yes. some person who looks like, like they're literally like on the verge of just like offing themselves. Yeah. Right. Like trying to cut an onion. They just can't like, it's, it's just like it. And then suddenly it comes into color and there's this amazing new product. It's like, isn't your life shit? It cannot be shit with this. Right. Like that's, that's <laughs> essentially, but like, that's a very, but the, they work in a very melodramatic way in commercials. Yeah. But if you watch almost any other commercial, they're, they're kind of the same way. Yeah. 
it's like a, a certain sense of your life is shit or look how great it could be it, or yeah, it, this could be, or look how great these people's lives are. Mm-hmm. If only you drove a Mazda. Yeah. Right. Like what we said Mazda, like not like a, not like a Mercedes or a Beamer, but like a Mazda, a Mazda. Like yeah. it's you know, like, like they do it. They, you know, they push it. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny because I mean, it's not to say there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the Mazda and the Mazda is probably a great car, you know, but it's the emotional. Well, Cause the thing is then you get the Mazda and then now you're looking, now you're looking at the Audi commercial. Yeah. Right. And it's like, Oh, I've gotten the Mazda that I always wanted, but yeah, now I gotta have that Audi. Right. Like it's, it's or never, I, it's a never ending spiral <laughs> of shit that you're conditioned to go through, but totally. Well, you know, eventually the, the that's the thing about material things too, is they have like a expiry date. Like we don't really talk about that, but you buy a car when it's new, it's really exciting and it's fresh and all that. Um, you know, wait a few years and then everybody has the new car, and especially the way technology is going, you know, and now, oh, well, I got to get the new car. I got to have the new stuff. I got to have the, you know, the new thing. And, and then it's not even the car. I mean, it's so insidious. It's like, um, you got the car, but now you know what you need to dress better. You need to have the clothes or you need to have the thing, or you need to have the the partner. And so then it's, it's constant. Like we're just living in this constant program of lacking. And, and what, what I think is unfortunate is that we believe that we could get that lacking to stop. And all we can actually do is give it a bandaid. And we're basically taught that our life basically like, and we, we're not really told this There's basically you're going to experience lacking for your whole life. And your goal is to succeed and make enough money and do these things so that you can bandaid it up in your whole life and never feel that lacking, but you're going to feel that lacking forever. And if we took away all that stuff, you don't want that because then you'd be really lacking. Right. And so once you kind of get to the point where you're not lacking, you might still buy the stuff and get the stuff, but the stuff is not you anymore. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like, uh, like I love my phone. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I would rather have my phone than not have my phone. I'd rather have my car than not have my car, but it, I, I don't need it for me to feel okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the difference is like, if I, if I feel like I can't get by without it, well, then it's dependence. And it's kind of like what we talked about earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is I actually realized I made this error. I'll just share this Yeah. is that I thought that I was detached and that I was feeling complete and I wasn't, I was actually just making myself independent, not, I wasn't dependent on things anymore, but I was actually pretending of being independent. So what would happen is say, uh, say I wanted something like say, uh, I don't know, uh, a 50 inch television or 80 inch television or whatever. Right. I have a really nice television, but I want a bigger one. And so I would go, you know what? I don't really need it. I don't care. I don't want it. But what would happen before was that, that like I knew like if there was a material thing and I needed a certain amount of money, I would work hard to, to save up, to get the goal. But then what happened was I stopped kind of working hard because I made material things bad. Someone mm. called me out on it one day and they said, you know, it's not bad to want things. Yeah. It's not bad to want to improve your lifestyle, to do these things. Yeah. And so then I realized, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just defying my dependence. I'm not actually, I'm still kind of dependent. Yeah. And so then what I realized was that what I need to do is embrace the value of the thing, but at the same time, embrace the value of myself 
and see it as just a mesh. I just want to bring these things together. They don't need to be together. I'm okay if they're not, but I would prefer they were together. So I'm going to go with my preference. And yeah. Do um, before though, when I was dependent, it was a need. And when I was defiant, it was just kind of a lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting line to walk because, and, and there, there is, there is one there. I think, yeah, it's, it comes down to like when everything it's usually in the extremes when you start to get into, into trouble, right? Like it's just like blind acceptance versus like just outright like defiance, right? Like it's, it's like they're both kind of like, they're, they're not great in, in either form. Just like, um, like with what you're, what you're sharing, there's nothing wrong with having stuff, but when that's all your life is, is based on, that's when it becomes a problem. And just like things can become a problem when you have no sense, like, you know, those like almost nomad types, Hmm. you know, which is a life that some people choose to live, but they, you know, don't really have any kind of a sense of, of a home, right. Of a, of a place of being right. Which, I mean, there's something to be said for having that in your life you know, I think so at least like, there yeah, are, sure. Yeah. There, you know, um, well, it's such an interesting, like, I mean, it's funny cause we're like kind of, it almost sounds like we're getting off the topic of art, but I really yeah. think all this stuff relates because it's, you know, how you think and how you interact with the world is kind of an expression of your art and, um, it can limit your expression. And we were, we were talking last night about, um, this programming thing. And you know what? I don't think you necessarily uninstall programming because like once it's in there, it's kind of always in there in a way. Like, it's not like you can just forget, you know, in a way like being materialistic at one point in your life was actually a good thing because you now understand what it's like to be materialistic. It's not Mm -hmm. like materialistic was bad. It was just a period in your life where you saw the world that way. And, um, the reason why I say this is because you've, have you ever heard of chaos theory? Yeah. Chaos. Okay. So essentially from my understanding, and maybe I'll butcher this, but basically everything is chaos nothing means anything. There's no God. Everything's just, um, like little organisms that have kind of come together and made whatever. Right. Yeah. I think that's Um, also kind of almost like existentialism too. Yeah. So chaos theories, everything's random. Nothing means anything. And, and we just make meaning out of nothing. Right. Yeah. Then there's, um, which is on the other side of the thing, which is full spirituality, faith and belief in the unknown to be more and mean more than anything we could even fathom and make meaning about. Um, and so we were talking about these things and actually you're better off to have the ability to go to both sides of the spectrums than to just be on one. Mm -hmm. And if you're fully chaos theory or fully faith belief in something, but you don't accept the other, you're actually a very limited human being because the, the, the best or the, the best way for a human being to actually interpret their life is to be open to both extremes because it creates a, a greater spectrum. And then on that spectrum, you can choose to sit where you are, but also understand that when it comes to something like that, that deep, we, we, at least at this point will not know, we won't yeah. know the answer to that, at least in this lifetime based on current sciences. I'm not saying it's never going to be possible, but currently it's just not at yeah. this point. So 
it's actually as a, it's better for us to be scientists and be like, this is what I believe. You might say, I believe in God. I believe in heaven. I believe in whatever it might be that there's meaning and, and there's everything happens for a reason. And I choose to believe that, but I understand that I could be wrong and everything could be chaos. But I had a philosophy teacher say, why would you choose to do this? If this helps you lead a better life? Yeah. Be aware of it. But at the same time, he's like, if, if living and believing in God helps you live a better life and, and you are, you know, um, yeah. you know, why not? Why not choose that just because it helps you that's, to, you know? Yeah. That's prag, that's pragmatic right. pragmatism. I've been, I've been getting into, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. that you're going on. I've, I've been devouring, um, uh, crash course philosophy. Mm. Um, which is this a pro this, course? This is YouTube. Oh, wow. It's a, okay. it's a YouTube channel called crash course and they have like different like lessons like on all sorts of stuff, but they've got this philosophy like course and they're like nine, 10 minutes long each. And they just like, it's just awesome. Wow. Like it's just fantastic. You can just freaking learn like anything these yeah, days. I and love that. They, they do them so well. So definitely check those out. We'll provide a link. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Go to our website, the B and E podcast.com. Well, shall I uh, talk about this? This, yeah, tell uh, us about this, this liquid brew. that we're yeah. drinking here. Yeah. It is from main street brewing company. <laughs> nice. And this is called the gold digger Hefeweizen. <laughs> and nice. I've, I'll just read the description, um, that they have provided there's gold in them there. Okay. Well, that's nice. They got a little flare in there. There's gold in them. There are hills. This German gold digger is styled after a traditional Hefeweizen, but brewed using a blend of buckwheat, rye, barley, and wheat. Mm-hmm. The multigrain malt bill adds spicy, nutty flavors with enhanced clove characters to balance the banana aroma. Yeah. Interesting. I've been liking it. I've been enjoying it too. You know, um, I really like Hefeweizens. I usually like citrusy, like orange, more Hefeweizens or the lemon. Yeah. But, um, I usually don't like the banana so much, but this one I really enjoyed. Yeah. And I'm almost done my glass already. It's got a nice spice. It's super dry. Yeah. It's super dry. It's very tasty though. And it's not, the banana, um, is not overwhelming. Yeah. It's there, but yeah, it doesn't, I think that's what's kind of nice about the dryness of it. It doesn't linger there for too long. It's just kind of, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, I, I think I don't like the banana, um, in beer because when I was a kid, I don't know if you ever had it. There was this banana medicine. If you got oh, sick, did you oh, ever have yeah, that? Yeah. 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 Usually yeah. when I tell people like, they're like, yeah, I had that stuff. Ugh. That was gross. And that it kind of ruined like the fake banana flavor for me, like for life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to say that this is a fake banana flavor, but what was that? That was like a penicillin or some, something oh, like that. It was something I can't horrible. remember. It was some, yeah, I don't know. Speaking of which, I, I, I'm a little under the weather, so my voice is a little, I don't know if it sounds off, but yeah, you're fine. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> okay. So, um, we talked about a lot of this. Let's, um, let's, let's kind of tie this back in before yeah. we summarize, but let's tie this back into art and, um, how this relates. You know, I think, um, and I, I personally, this is just my belief. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm right or wrong, but I, I, I feel this way. I feel an artist that is not materialistic is more free. You're more free to express yourself. You're more free of the constraints of commercialism. You're, you're less, you're, you're, you're less likely to be sold out or like to sell out because 
you know, there's no price anyone can put on your head. Your authenticity, your integrity is going to mean more. I think if you're very materialistic and you need things to feel complete, you're going to be more likely to go for the paycheck. You're going to be more likely to try to do the commercialism thing. This is just my hypothesis, my belief, but yeah. So I think like sharing these things and kind of helping people to become a little bit more detached and a little bit more, um, whole, not only helps them as an artist in and of themselves, but I think it helps them navigate the world a little bit better with more integrity and authenticity. Yeah. 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 Not to get like the, the sort of the trappings of success and, and yeah, and materialism and also just being aware. I mean, it's all, I mean, I, I really do think that, and it's something that's not really talked about that much as, as artists, or at least, you know, from my experience as an actor, I mean, the whole concept of, of what you're doing as an artist is, is I think too, too neglected and part of, I, and I do see that the things that we're talking about as part of almost like a sense of duty as an artist, like as an artist, you should be like diving into philosophy and like what's and sociology and like what's going on in our world. Like that's like, you need to have opinions on these things. You need to have a view on these. You need to challenge yourself with them. You need to see how you feel about all of them so that, I mean, because it's for one, I mean, it's a wealth of material for you to work with, but I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know what else you're supposed to express otherwise. Otherwise, I mean, there's, it's just, it's kind of soulless work. If it's all just, you know, if it's all just for cool. Yeah. Right. Like it's, that's what becomes of a lot of, of art and every, every single kind of medium, you know, you see it and it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's just, just popular. It's just kind of, it doesn't really have much of an impact. It's just, I I don't necessarily know how to characterize it, but it's just lacking in, in the good stuff. Yeah. Right. Which is, I mean, when for an artist, like you might not have a lot of like massive material wealth and success at this point in your life and your career, but sometimes being in that place can actually be an incredible, I mean, to come back to the growth thing, I mean, you, if that's always your goal, I mean, being in that place can be an extraordinary wealthy resource of things to draw upon for your work. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I mean, it does to me. I, I, I think, um, you know, I think that we have, we have this voice inside of us, this, um, I don't know. It's like, I, I, when I look at it, it's kind of like an instinct of like, what do I feel is right? What, what has affected me emotionally in the world that I stand for? And I think so much of, um, the pressures of the external world get us to mute that. So for example, um, you know, I was bullied a bit in high school, but I remember one of my friends, he was being bullied and, um, I was a little upset with him at the time, but he was being bullied. And I remember I could have stood up for him and I didn't. 
and it's always bothered me. It's bothered me and you know, it's just bothered me all my life ever since then. And I made a decision after that because it emotionally upset me so much that I was weak in that moment. And I decided that if any of my friends are ever bullied by somebody, I'm not going to stand silent. I'm going to stand up. And that's something that is a part of me. That's part of my experience. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that is my identity, but that's something that I was truthfully emotionally connected to. Now I've been in situations and I've shared them on the podcast where I've literally put myself in danger or I've embarrassed myself in front of everybody. Like, and I'm not embarrassed, but to some people that might be embarrassing. But to me, I stand by standing up for my friends so much. And because I know what it feels like to not. And I think what ends up happening is we, uh, and, and you know, in social psych, you start learning stuff like this about people and you, it's actually a little bit, it's a little bit sobering and a little bit shocking and a little bit depressing sometimes, but you start to realize how much people have a pressure to fit in and hit the status quo and be accepted. It's mm-hmm. like massive. Like yeah. there's pressure that people feel and people will like, there's experiments where, for example, they'll draw, they'll, they'll bring a person into a classroom. They'll draw two lines on a board and they'll ask people, are these lines the same length or are they a different length? And almost, and they're clearly a different length, but almost everyone will say, oh, they're the same length, but they're all in on the experiment. And you don't realize it. And, and the person who's there will often say, oh, they're the same length, like 80%, 85% yeah. of the time or something. And the thing is, is they, they quote that they basically say that's because people are so worried about standing out and being different that if everybody else is doing it, we kind of go, well, I'm going to do it. Which means that even though we know better inside, we're willing to subjugate that just to fit in. So the reason why I think this talk is so important is because I think what we're doing is we're bringing light to the artist's actual voice. You know, like to be a, to be an artist with, with any sort of integrity and not be like a puppet, you need to have a voice and it's probably going to be different than everybody else's. Yeah. And not defiant, not because I'm going to do the opposite because they said this, but because no, this does not align with my beliefs about the world. Yeah. And I don't care if there's a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 of you, it just does not fit for me. Yeah. Right. And then once I think we start doing that, we're, we're going to bring that into our art, you know? Yeah. And sometimes all it takes is one person to, to stand up. And very oftentimes artists are the people who are standing up and, and communicating, saying things that, that people are too afraid to say. Um, but it's, it's an important thing. And I don't want to say this like as some sense of like righteousness or anything about it, but it's just like, to me, that's, that's how to have just longevity as an artist is like, you've got to be connected to your messages and connected to some sort of a sense of, of purpose in, in your work. I mean, and that can even be in a commercial realm. I mean, your voice needs to always still be in, in your work. Like you could, it doesn't matter. You could be, you could be working on like a, on a blockbuster of some kind. There's still room. There's still plenty of room for art to happen in there. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have to, you might have to hit some notes in order to satisfy, you know, um, a commercial, a commercial audience or, or a production or something like that. But there's always room and, and there's, it's been proven time and time again that there is so much space for 
some really like for great themes, great ideas, great messages within something that is like, uh, a thriller (laughs) edge of your seat action kind of a, of a film. Like it's absolutely possible to do it. Yeah. Um, well also, you know, like I, you know, I think, um, if, if, uh, anyone on the, say, other end of this, say you became a movie star, you're an actor and you became a movie star, you might think, well, I have to deal with the script that they gave me because these producers are so powerful. This director is so powerful. You know, the writers don't want their work changed. But if you come in with a good point and you say, Hey, like, I think there's some opportunity here. You know, you could actually influence the way this project is done, the way the script's interpreted. And, you know, I, I, I look at someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, who's, you know, one of my heroes and Marlon Brando is a couple actors who I, I look, I've looked up to. And, um, Leo is, you know, he really is an advocate for helping stop global warming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's a big thing for him. And so you might not necessarily see that come out in all of his projects, but he's a guy who, you know, you can see that he stands for something and he's not just, he's not just a puppet actor. He's like someone that actually like is out there, wants to make a difference. And I think even if he's doing something like say, um, the departed or something, there's still a certain kind of like solidness inside of them. You know, if you look at Marlon Brando, you know, people can say all they want about him, but that guy, that guy had integrity. He had a certain amount of like, no, I'm going to stand for this. And you know, uh, I don't know if you, if you know this or if our audience knows this, but when they, when he won an Oscar for the Godfather, he didn't show up to the, he didn't show up to the Oscars he sent, um, a a native American woman, which I I don't recall her name at the moment, but she spoke up about how the natives had basically been trampled in, uh, you know, North America and, and they're almost a forgotten race and people booed and all this other stuff because it interrupted their popcorn entertainment. But you know what? I, I look at that and I go, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you, you, you don't even, you don't even care about this stupid little metal trophy that you're willing to take that opportunity in that stage to say something that you believe in and sorry, it upsets everybody in their little popcorn entertainment because it's an important thing in life. And he later said, he said, you know, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. But at the time, at the time I felt it was the right thing. And you know what? I think that's all we got as artists and we might make mistakes. And you know what? Maybe it wasn't, he said like, maybe it wasn't my stage to do that. Maybe that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. But what I really respect about him is that he wasn't trying to look good. Yeah. I know, you know, I think like what you're saying, like what, as, as artists, we need to be participants in our lives. Like we need to be active participants in our lives. We need to be active participants in the world. Yeah. Like we, like the, the comfort and the numbness, that's not, that's not the life of being a true artist. I mean, if you want to, if you want to do the popcorn, you want to be an entertainer. I mean, that's, that's a different path. I just feel like eventually, eventually you're going to hit some point in your life where you're going to start asking yourself some serious questions. I mean, I think that's an inevitable point that you have, that you come to in your life. Yeah. That's somewhere along the way, you've kind of got to ask what the, what the hell does this all mean? Hmm. Anyhow, like despite like, you know, you could be, you know, flying in private jets and like partying and, and having, having a great time, but you hit a point where you can't 
distract yourself. Like there, there's quiet moments where you're just to yourself where you're, you know, and, and you have to carve out some sense of, of meaning for yourself in the world. And I think as, you know, if you're an artist, that's what you engage with. Yeah. 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 I think, um, and it's not easy. No, it's not, it's easy. not always an easy thing, but it, you, it's, it's something that you almost have to learn how to make it a joyful thing to do. Well, I think, I think so too. And I mean, I think, you know, there's that saying, I mean, it's such a silly saying more money, more problems. Yeah. It's kind of true because what, 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 if anybody who's had money or experienced having money, at least briefly, what, what, and I've had it and not had it. I, I've had both experiences and I'm not saying I've had the most money in the world, but I've had enough to know what it's like to be able to buy anything you want and do anything you want and whatever. I've also had nothing at all and been scraping by wondering how I'm going to eat. Yeah. But I can tell you this, when you have a lot of money, um, and you're trying to fill that void, that, that emptiness, that whatever with things, it'd be, it's so relative at first, it only takes a little bit and you feel good, but then you need to buy something more, more expensive, more of it, uh, a higher caliber. And and it's, it's this endless void. And I, I would hypothesize that people who have made, like they've gotten to the peak, like they've reached their dream of commercial financial success. They probably at some point experience a profound emptiness because there gets to a certain point where you go, I thought I made it, but I realized that this isn't like, I'm still not happy. Mm-hmm. I have the Ferrari. I have the mansion. I have the, the supermodel partner. I have all of these things. I have the career. I have the recognition. I have all these things I was told I was supposed to want. And eventually there's not a big enough bandaid to cover the wound. And what's ironic is that you actually just expose it. You just expose the wound and it's always been there. And so I think like, you know, I'm an advocate. I think you are for helping artists heal that wound now so that when they do have that richness, they do have that fame. They do have that fortune and recognition. If they go down that road, that it's not because it's covering a wound, but because it's a product of their actual ability. And it's, it's like a bonus. I've heard, uh, some of the most, um, famous people that I respect usually say, you know, if I didn't have to be famous, I wouldn't be because fame just allows me to do more of what I love. So I realize it's a necessary evil. Can you, you know how many people they say millennials, they say, I think it's like three and four want to be famous. Yeah. They want it. Like that's what we're taught though. We're taught to believe that if we're just rich and we're famous, that everything will be solved. Yeah. And well, it's, uh, Hopefully it's, we're you're beginning giving, to expose. You're giving me uh, <laughs> you're giving me flashes of Fight Club there. Yeah, there's a Tyler Durden quote that but was I'm not in there. Saying, listen, like, yeah, that was just like we we're told we're all gonna be like like celebrities and movie stars, and we're very angry. <laughs> yeah, we're very pissed off. We're or something very pissed like that. off. Yeah. It. Well, okay. Listen, I just want to I want to say one caveat though. I'm not saying don't have nice stuff. I'm not oh saying yeah. Don't live in a nice place and and drive a nice car and have nice clothes. I'm not saying that do it. Cause those are, those are great things. And the, you know, yes, but, but don't live your life for those things. Live your life for what's inside of you. Yeah. You not as an, yeah. Like at least, especially not as an artist, if that's yeah. what you really are. And that's who, I mean, I felt like we're, we're trying to speak to, I mean, I if you're listening to this, I, you know, maybe you're not of the spectrum. You if you're listening to this, yeah. it says to me that you're a person who, really wants to be an artist who wants to know what that is, 
you know, what, what that means to be an artist. And because it's, it's, it's nothing, it's something that's just, it's not talked about. It's not like, it's not explored, you know, like I, like I, I literally feel like I've just like really started to discover what that all means since we started recording this podcast, like really getting us. And I've been in an artistic field for like half of my life. Yeah. And that's the thing. (laughs) That's the thing though, Evan, is that we've been in an artistic field, but we haven't necessarily been artists. And the reason why I say that is because you don't have to be an artistic field to be an artist. The big thing that I've discovered is you could be a football player. You could be a scientist. Art, art, art is, it's, it's, inside of it. It's subjective. It's our personal expression and voice in the world. And so like, I think who we're talking to is not only people who are already like artists and have dedicated their life to that, but people who are doing some nine to five dead end job. And they're like, I'm not happy. I want more out of my life. I want to, I've always wanted to get into film. I've always wanted to make music or dance or paint. And that person's listening. And I, and what I'd like to say to that person is follow that, you know, honor that because, you know, you might've been working this nine to five job. You might've gone to school and done all this stuff because you were taught and you got the programming that if you did that, it would make you happy. And you know what, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably realize you're not happy doing that. And I'm not saying don't quit. Don't, I'm not saying quit your job, but I'm saying start exploring your, your, your voice in the world. That is where your art will come from. And if you're an artist and you've dedicated your whole life to being an artist, if you be honest, if you have been an artist and, and start finding your voice in your work, you know, start finding your, your center line, you know, stop doing what the director tells you to do. Check in with yourself and ask, is this what I, as my connection to the character, because if you're an actor, you are the authority of the character. If you're a painter, you are the authority of the painting. If you're a musician, you are the authority of the song, you know, and, and we, we, we have to start, artists have to start owning up to that. We have to stop bowing down. And I love producers. I love directors. I love, I love them. I think it's great because they create something and they create a vision and I am those things, but I'm also an artist and I have a voice. And, and part of it is for me to stand up for my voice because I'm just as valid as every other person. And I don't care if you have a hundred million dollars as a producer and I'm this actor that's broken eating canned food. Our voices at the end of the day are both valid. Yeah. You know what brings us back to partnership, right? That's how two people can partner up. doesn't matter where they are in life. If both people come at it with valid voices, I think that's what we do. Yeah. I think that's why it works. It just hit me. Completely nodding. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't see it, but we're just looking at each other. We're just nodding. Oh yeah. man. That well, was great. I love that. I just That's feel great. Like, you can I just, just feel like I orgasm. Yeah, no, you just, <laughs> just bottle that up. Well, take it easy, Brandon. Take it easy. In a weird way. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get got it. something out. I just uh, cleared. No, some that's space that's there, great. Yeah. I I'm picking up on all of that. Yeah, completely. I don't even I don't even want to I don't even want to cap this. I don't want to cap it either. I I think you know what? Let's let it's seventy third podcast. I like number seventy three. Yeah, and it felt like it was it was almost like a recap of some like old stuff that kind of yeah. came up. We found some new stuff in it. Maybe that's what we'll call it. A and recap, a recap of, you know, everything combined or something up yeah. to this point. Or whatever. <laughs> and you know what, as the audience, you guys can make your decision about what this was about. But I think, you know, 
Um, yeah, I don't want to sum it up. Just find your voice. That's it. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Find your voice. And I'll just add, add to that is, um, is, is check in with always see how, how you feel about things. I mean, it's, it's your voice and that voice comes from, from your sense of being in the world, Mm. you know, your sense of being a participant in the world and how you think and how you feel and the voice is the expression, right? So it's like, I think they're kind of, yeah, they're, they're linked. Yeah. They're, they're linked there's together. There's a partnership there. Yeah. You know, I agree. Cause you know, like my, my thing where I said, yeah, trust your voice is like, yeah, but how do I do that? You kind of helped sum it up a little bit by yeah. saying, yeah, you gotta, you gotta check in with your feeling and your, your, you know, and, and start asking questions, yeah. start going into those feelings that are sometimes uncomfortable for you, you know, comfort again, I guess we're, I'm not stopping here, but yeah, comfort is just such a, such a, bullshit thing that we, that we strive for yeah. in this world. Like we actually, like we, like, it's like we strive for it in this world. That's like how we actually go about things. And it's, and it's just death as an artist. It's absolute death as an artist. And so you, you want to get in touch with those values and, and that participation in the world. You've got to, you've got to take in the world and you've got to feel it. You've got to know how that feels in you and you've got to be connected to it and, and start to think about it and ask questions about it, you know, and then you have, you have something for that voice to come from. Yeah. Even if what you think about it changes. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, it's, you've got to, you've just, you've got to act upon that. What's real in you. Yeah. I feel it. You know, it's interesting. I was, and I just want to kind of cap what you said there because it hit me, but you know, our striving for comfort in, in the first world, what we've been taught to do at least is like, we're just trying to numb that feeling. But instead I, you know, the best advice I think we could give anybody is and ourselves is go towards that feeling. Stop running from it and trying to mask it and bandaid it, go towards that feeling and then heal the wound. And then, you know, then, then you don't have the wound. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then you have something incredible to share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a good one. I'm going to be thinking about this podcast for a while. Me too. Yep. (laughs) That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.